Welcome to the Forever Classic Podcast. I'm Alex McCumbers, and today we're back and we're talking about some things we've started a few times over and over again to varying degrees of success. Anyways, I've got the guys with me. Joe, how's it going, man? It's going good. We're starting again. Again. Thematically makes sense with our topic for the day. Season-wise, <laughs> we're on season like six. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> if you take it by upload dates. Now, we've had some cool stuff go up on the feed here recently. And speaking of cool, uh, Mr. Zack Snyder. What is up? Hey, how you been? Uh, tired. <laughs> I've seen Joe because I lived with him for a while, but I haven't seen you in a while. No, no. I've just been new work stuff. Been very busy. Very busy. Because now I work much further from home. Uh, so I have, I have, I have a commute. <laughs> Actual, yeah, it's not that fun. Uh, I am really fishing for that remote job, so I don't have to commute. Sounds exhausting. Roll out of bed. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how valuable that was when I worked in uh in the uh the mobile game space? You literally just like grab your laptop from the other side of the bed, pull it over, and be like, "I have arrived." <laughs> I'm at work. I saw an excellent TikTok of somebody had a. Uh, made a like a wig head <clears throat> and basically like made her self and she set up her computer and slid her wig head on the table in front of it so she had her background and it made it look like Hilarious. she had her like glasses and mask and her like hair did and she was just like <laughs> laying on the couch beside it like <laughs> the decoy i'm all about like exploiting big companies like that good for her yep she's... i want someone to show up to their professional zoom meeting and their vtuber uh I've seen display it. up <laughs> like i'm not the, a cat the, the the i am a cat girl that's different <laughs> i'm i'm here i'm i'm not a cat but i guess let's uh let's catch back up and and talk about some current geeking because I've got some pretty cool stuff happening, a lot of games playing. Uh, I mean, anybody who's been keeping up with our, our website or our Twitch streams will probably know that there's a lot of fighting game action happening over the past few months. There's a lot of indie games we've uh, reviewed, a lot of, like, fringe Square Enix stuff here of late, and then a bunch of, like, cool horror stuff, because, you know, it's October, and a bunch of really big thing, things came out. And Spoopy we have a couple season. new writers, too. We have uh, we have Justin Wood at... Um, who also does a lot of really excellent work at Dread XP. He's part of the Here's Johnny podcast. We have Marcus, who is uh, the Ginger Thrust on Twitch, so definitely check him out. And then we also have Reese, who is a graphic designer and helped me out at Black Ice when I was there. And so he's done some thumbnail work for us. He updated a logo for us, which I think looks pretty cool. And mm -hmm. so hopefully uh, between us and the new parts of the team, we can really make some excellent stuff happen and and I've got a lot of cool stuff in the works for us for the holiday season, whether it's acquiring hardware to review or getting new games or what have you. So that's all been super fun for me. And that's kind of where a lot of my geek energy has been. But I would love to hear from you, Joe. What's your current, like, fascination? Well, so a couple of the, the couple big things I would say is uh, they've been on my watch list for a long time, but I've never seen the original like old black and white like 1930s universal monsters movies like they're iconic they've been on my watch list for a while um and so i finally was like you know what let's just this is the year so i i, f I picked up like 
a b- box set of the 4K Blu-rays of like four of them at Best Buy and I'm loving it. It's been a lot of fun to like go and watch these movies that have such they're so iconic visually and like that to this day when people think about these characters their their brain immediately goes to that even though there's been how many frankenstein movies one of the most iconic ones is still the like the universal monsters frankenstein from Mm -hmm. 1931 um that's what boggles my mind even like films like alien coming out in what 79 or something like that is wild to me how cool and how like that movie is composed right and so the fact that the movies you're watching took place in the 30s and they're still good isn't that crazy the 4k transfer i would say is pretty good the movies look good Mm -hmm. on on the 4k tv uh haven't had any issues with that but just like the techniques of movie making and how they have changed from the 1930s you know when the camera and the rig was 300 pounds you tried not to move it as much as possible. And so there's definitely more of a, like a theatrical approach to the filmmaking because you have characters engaging with each other, trading lines and dialogue back and forth for longer periods of time in between cuts. And when they do cut, it's, it's really intentional. It's not just sort of like, Oh, we're going to, you know, rearrange takes rearrange from this angle and this angle it's we've got literally a hundred feet of film for this shot what we get is what we get and we're not moving the camera until like until the next shot and so it's really interesting to to watch these movies so far i've i've watched dracula which was phenomenal Mm. Uh, Frankenstein, which was also phenomenal, and then Wolfman, which was kind of underwhelming. (laughs) Uh, Also, uh, so many of these movies just sort of end. Hmm. There's not really like a conclusion. It's like, well, uh, the monster's dead now. Hooray. The end. And that was the plot driver, so we're done. Go home. (laughs) It's that. The other thing I've been geeking out about is I've been playing through the Bayonetta games again to get ready for 3 coming out. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, it's when I'm doing that is the the huge controversy between uh, the voice actress and Platinum and her claiming pay rates, but then uh, Schreier, uh, games journalist, uh, games journalist uncovered that no, they offered her a lot more money than that, and she's misrepresenting the whole thing. But, really you know, messy situation. And yeah, Jim yeah, Hill's a hit at, like what was it? Kamiya, the the one director. Oh, he's 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 <laughs> consistently bad at public mark like facing issues. Yeah, he um, kind of made an ass of himself on Twitter, which I mean, it happens, but right. it, it was. It was a rough weekend that weekend. So many different things in geek culture were just like all over the place. Yeah. But I think like you see Jennifer Hale's response to the whole thing just being like, you know, this whole this whole situation's messy. I can't speak on anything specifically because of NDAs, but I would like to remind fans and the audience that I gave it my best and as did an entire team of developers. It wasn't just one person creating this game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
some people really upset about that, but it's just interesting that it's when I am like in the like playing through these, right? Yeah, <laughs> just did like, that affect your play at all? Like, did you play was, that and like feel bad about it or something? No, not necessarily. It was it mm. it it did for a moment make me well maybe maybe I'll cancel that pre order if if that's how they're treating some of their people, right? But then as more of the story came out, I'm like, well, I'm glad I didn't just jump on that bandwagon and waited for more information to come out. Um, and it was a good reminder that, you know, Bayonetta isn't just the voice actress. It's the, the character designer. It's the animators. It's the gameplay. It, you know, it's it's all these different pieces that come together and make that character what it is. A voice is a huge part of it mm-hmm. uh, and and gives a character some some life for sure that drives 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 things but um yeah it was a good reminder and it's just interesting that the discussion surrounding it came out that was voice actors in general aren't paid great like even no. like a top tier like top tier voice actors are you know what what she was offered was a pretty good offer for voice voice actors and it was one of those things where like Imagine if the friend, the cast of Friends, was offered four thousand dollars an episode. It would be considered a joke. Yeah, and they would I, decline it. I assume it. they made more money than that. Oh, they I made millions. So. They made millions per episode. Yeah, or wow. it was like it, by the end of it, it was cr- a crazy amount of money. Yeah, and it at that level, like when you get into AAA stuff for that, you don't usually get a flat rate. Like if you're doing a game like a, a game, you know, synonymous like with the example that we're talking about, like Bayonetta. Like I wouldn't imagine that anybody would offer like the top billing voice actors or anybody like in particular on that project uh, in that scope a a rate. I would imagine that they offered them a percentage of sales. That's usually how you that sort think. of thing goes when it gets to that height. So it's. it's- I feel like I in games that's that's way like that from what I've gathered based on, you know, reading great journalistic works, not only from Shire, but many of our peers in this industry. Right. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that like we really take for granted. And at the end of the day, I think that voice actors, people who are involved in the development of things, they deserve to be paid more. And we've got to come up with a better way to to pay people. And the royalty yeah. system in games has been horrendous for you know how long like, yeah, even people whose names is on the box have trouble with it help yeah. help your voice actors get in their unions <laughs> unionizing i think is a huge deal right now well, in it, most well, industries but games especially cuz i mean the industry largely is already unionized and that's sort of like there's a base rate but they definitely tend to stay at that base rate so the the industry doesn't grow the way it it really should be growing yeah um and so while this conversation is good that it's having she really did herself a disservice to herself and the industry yeah. as a whole by misrepresenting the amounts that she was claiming to be paid and i think the real offer was more akin to like four thousand dollars per four hour session yeah and i mean so it's not been a lot nearly of as bad as around. an offer as she made it out to be but it is still just generally like the they stand to make a lot of money off of this game and for $15,000 voicing their entire game or whatever. Um, and then making millions off of that performance and other people's performance on top of their other investment and payments to other employees and things. But yeah, 
not to dig into like geeking out about voice acting. It's just <laughs> while I'm in like playing through the, the Bayonetta games, get, getting hyped for three, this whole controversy comes out and then it's like not as clear cut as it seems to be. And, you know, I'm, I'm after, you know, I'm, I think I'm most of the way through two. I'm stoked for three. Like Bayonetta is a character that I just, I just get a lot of entertainment value out of because she's just so over the top. Like, yeah. I love the fact that her character design involves high heels with guns for the heels that actually shoot. There's a lot <laughs> and of she never really does cool anything. Stuff in Bayonetta. Like the, she the never just points and shoots. Oh, so good. Yeah. She never just points and shoots. It's always some sort of flourish. Like yeah. everything she does is like just amped up to a 10. Zach, what about you, man? Uh, most of my geeky has been like kind of revisiting lots of things over the past like six to eight months. So like I finally like revisited like Magic the Gathering. So a lot of oh. our friends got in our like big commander players and I didn't quite realize that they were. Um, so we were talking commander stuff and I tore up one of my old uh, black blue zombie decks and I made a black blue zombie commander deck not 100 percent zombies because it's got to have some other little stuff in there uh but it's fun uh so that's it's been a lot of fun to get back into that because i played it so much when i lived in elkins and like we were all real close together we played in that house like 24 7 yeah uh y'all getting into magic is what got me into magic and so that's just kind of how it happened right and i haven't touched it since so what do i know but uh what i like about magic currently and the only reason that i personally pick up cards is there's so many cool like promos right now like yeah, in uh ikoria it was all about kaiju and they had godzilla promos so i pick up those when i see them yeah the secret layer in particular has got a lot of really cool looking stuff uh god what's the the metal gear artist Oh, uh, Kobo. I can never remember his name, but he's he's now he's he's done a set before in Secret Lair years ago, but now he's doing uh, another set of five art cards for the new Secret Layers that are out this month. Ooh, that's a uh, Yoji Shinkawa Yoji who also Shinkawa. contributed a really cool like uh, it was a Metal Gear style Godzilla Ava unit thing that they made a toy out of. That's really sick. <laughs> but uh, so he's doing like uh one of the Planeswalkers, Tezzeret, uh, and then a uh, several Phyrexian cards, which are, like, really in tune with his artwork. Oh, the Phyrexians make a lot of sense. Well, okay, so that's the new set. The new set is, like, a Dominaria return with some, like, slight time travel, and they're revisiting the Phyrexians who've been doing stuff over the past couple blocks. I, got, mm -hmm. I wanted to know what the story was going on. A lot of it's, like, way out of my depth because I've been out of it for a while. Uh, but yeah, so, well, and it changes every like <clears throat> what four months or something. <laughs> yeah, but they've been like sewing in the Phyrexians after they took over Mirrodin uh, and made it new Phyrexia into the past several whole blocks. So now it's in the culmination of it. So there's gonna be some like time travel where they go back and touch on with uh, Urza and Mishra from like way back in the day uh it, it's really cool like story-wise i'm really into the magic story there's a lot of shit going on constantly but um, speaking of guest artists junji ito of famous manga acclaim also has cards now and so does post malone <laughs> it's a weird time <laughs> for magic yeah uh post malone's apparently a, a real big magic fan 
which has made a lot of magic card <laughs> prices go really high. Oh, because, maybe I can sell now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's basically, you know, if you're thinking like cards as physical stock market, like he was like, I really like this. And he starts playing these things and everybody's like, I want what Post Malone's playing. And like those those values immediately went from like wherever they were, like kind of high to mid to like. Pfft. That sort of reminds me of like this Pokemon card is worth more because Jake Paul opened it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, yeah, you're, it's the same concept. <laughs> like, like people paid like, oh, it's a, there was a YouTube video about it and it, about like these people who do unboxings and it like peaked at this point of where like people were paying for packs of Pokemon cards to watch someone else open it. So like part of, a, part of buying a Pokemon card, part of the excitement is sort of that, like that same thing we get from like loot boxes or gambling and things like that. You open it up and you get that unboxing experience, but you're literally paying money to watch someone else open it. And they, 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 they called it in the video cucksumerism. I hate that. I hate that so much. <laughs> but the, and it's just like, I don't know what it is, man, but it's, it's either the general populace or a large part of, of the like American audience or something is really susceptible to this or something to that effect. Because I mean, we saw the same thing happen with Dogecoin. We, every time Elon Musk made a tweet that was positive, it would shoot up in price and you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's, I don't, there's something to do with mainstream celebrities saying they like a thing. Yeah. Now it makes, <laughs> makes it work. It's really weird to me, but you know what? At the end of the day, uh, all the, all this like, uh, push into like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, especially with like things like, um, Dimension 20 and, uh, Critical Role has really pushed yeah. it into like mainstream territory. Mm -hmm. And then you get people like Post Malone and like other famous figures being like, I really love playing magic. Like this is great. It's also pushed yeah. that like way into like mainstream popularity. Um, the but, core things that we find geeky are, you know, the cool hobbies to have, right? Like Dungeons and Dragons is a neat thing to do that most people have experience in now. Yeah, lots yeah. lots and lots of that. And that and uh, table topping. So like Saturday we gotta play I gotta play a new tabletop with our group of friends that we play with bi weekly here. Hmm. Uh and we gotta play the thing outbreak at outpost thirty one. So it's like uh Oh, I've I've seen that one. It's it was real it was a lot of fun. I don't know anything about it, but I've seen it. Uh so it plays akin to like Battlestar Galactica and uh, they mentioned another game that I haven't played. So it's a it's a hidden loyalty game. Yeah, social deduction, hidden loyalty, like uh and it works And when you say the thing, <clears throat> you mean John Carpenter's the thing or yes. you know yeah. that yeah that to tie into more of our horror stuff. Cool. Uh, but it was cool because like the game breaks it there's three sections of three sectors of the, your like outpost. And you have to clear each one. So you have an objective of like, you have to kill a thing and you have to get like a rope for section one, sector one, and then you can get out. So in that time, everybody's dealt a card, like your blood type, and you're either human or a thing. And then the second round, uh, there's the potential for two more things to enter the fray. Somebody who's already a thing can be redealt a thing card again. But. Mm. so you can maybe only get one and then the third time there's a smaller chance that that same person gets dealt the same thing card again and there's only one thing the whole time but like win conditions are you identify all the things that are people and kill them 
because every round somebody else just can spontaneously become one. So sector one to two, a new thing can emerge and sector two to three, another one can emerge or at two, you can have all three thing players be doing stuff. Keeps you guessing and keeps fun. things kind of going. Yeah, because then you, if you, you like, you're sabotaging, and then the other win condition for them is somebody just flies under the radar the whole time and gets on the helicopter and leaves with the humans, and they win. Uh, That's cool because you have to kill them off or tie them up, or uh, you have like the commander has a gun to be like this person can't come. Uh, so you have hmm. to like vote on it. You can't show each other like what you have unless you do a blood test. Which is the, hmm. just basically how well you've managed to finish like the missions as you go. Like the more missions you fail, the less blood tests you get because more of the base is getting destroyed as you go from the things. So they're destroying your ability to get blood tests before you take okay. off in the helicopter. And it's really, it was really a lot of fun. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. Nice. If you if if you like that style of game, I highly recommend the game Unfathomable. That was the other one, which is which mm, is a very okay. similar sort of concept but it's like arkham horror themed uh in that universe um i've played it a few times it's got the really big ass ship yeah so the game board is the ship and then like you have these like giant sea monsters that are trying to take down the ship um oh i might have played this with you what i like about it is in unfathomable there's two when you start getting more players i think you can have up to like eight players but once you get over five, there's two types of hidden loyalties. So there's the humans, which is the people they're trying to get the ship to Boston safely. Every, like have it, everyone to survive. Then there's the monsters that are trying to sink the ship and not let it get to, uh, to Boston. Then there are cultists who don't want the ship to get to Boston, but they want it to get close enough that they can still swim to Boston. And so... Like you want the you like you want the ship to sink within like after round seven or eight or something like that, and so it like becomes really interesting of these people like suddenly after a certain number of turns changing their lo- like changing their strategies or trying to mess things up um, because you like now they're close enough to sink the ship but still win. It's it's really interesting. I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. So if you can get your hands on a copy of Unfathomable and your group likes that hidden loyalty style of game, check it out. Yeah, it was. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in board games in general, but it seems like y'all have always found like these hidden gems of that genre. Yeah, these these have been great. Like last night, like uh, I knew one of our things pretty pretty off the bat. Like I realized who our first one was, but I couldn't figure out the rest. But the guy I thought was the thing too the whole time was just unfortunately in the groups that all the things were in every single time. And just like luck of the draw. It, it was. And it just, it made me the whole time think he was the bad guy. And I had, I was just off the mark by one person at, at the end and was like, damn it. That's kind of the <laughs> failure of social deduction when you play multiple rounds. Like I know we were playing among us way back whenever it first got popular and <laughs> we like started the game and I was like, I bet you it's Paku. And he's like, no. And then, of course, I convinced everybody to vote him off. And it was. And it was really funny. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes you can just take a shot in the dark and, like, get success. Right. And that's in game design. Eh, it's not ideal, but yeah. at least it works. Yeah. In game design. And then, like, players are fantastic. Like, in Paku, for example, was very good at he just he kept one kind of persona while he played the game, whether he was good or bad. 
and you could right, not right. figure it out. <laughs> it was so hard to figure out if he was Among the good Us guy is or coming the bad to VR guy. soon. Might have to revisit that for the VR version, which seems like a silly thing. Uh, so for me, I have spent a lot of time playing around with different hardware. Um, I do want to shout out, I'm in the initial parts of this review currently, but I have uh, several controllers from Retro Fighters. Now, Retro Fighters, they mostly specialize in creating controllers that work on, like, PC or whatever, but uh, they have several different models, so some that work wirelessly on N64, PlayStation. I'm really impressed. So this is the first one I just started tinkering with, the Defender. I mean, it's got the see-through blue, which is the, the version they sent me. Um, it's a PlayStation controller. It's very comfortable. I'm not crazy about the D-pad yet, but it, it, it's got a really nice feel to it, and it has that color that's really nostalgic for me because I had a controller like this, but it's it's wireless. It can also work on PS1, PS2, PS3, PC, which is how I've been playing A Plague Tale Requiem, I think is the subtitle for that. And then I'm excited to check out some of their other models, but, I mean, this is this is a solid controller. It, it works. It feels great. I don't so have it's very PS3, many it's PlayStation 3 and earlier. Yes, so there's a there's a USB dongle which is for PS3. Um, it might even work for Switch too. I haven't tried that yet. PC, but there's another there's a separate dongle that you can equip into like a, a PS1 style connector, which also is the same connector for PS2. So you can huh. wirelessly. It's charged by a USB C, which is always a plus, and it's got uh it's got turbo features and some other buttons here that I don't know what they do. <laughs> so I mean there's a there's a couple different ways you can use this. But like I said, I'm not crazy about that D-pad. Maybe my settings in Fightcade was weird, but I was missing Hadoukens pretty consistently. So I want to oh. take another crack at that on maybe a different version of Street Fighter or something. What's the what's the price on something like that? I think this retails for 49.99, so about 50 bucks. That's I can, not too bad. I can double check, but yeah, Retro Fighter so far, like, this is the most premium feeling controller when I just picked up all of them out of the boxes. And just the the color, I think, is really nice. And I fired it up into Steam, and it worked just fine. So, solid controller. Sweet. But, uh, oh, yeah. like I mentioned, Plague Tale. Here come the rats. It's it's a cool little game. <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's French-developed, but I played a Plague Tale Innocence a while back. And was just blown away. It's it doesn't do anything super crazy in the gameplay department, but it's it's kind of like a Last of Us or a God of War. It's third person. It's very narrative driven. But the whole story is that these rats are like ripping through the ground in waves, and they're like a natural disaster level threat. And you know, eventually you come to realize like all these different things about the rats, and you're while that's happening, you're also running away from the Spanish Inquisition or something. So there's these night guys that try to kill you. So it's very stealth based. Uh, the sequel is similar in gameplay. Now there's a couple more tools, such as, like, the crossbow and uh, ways to, like, bait rats and brighten flames because you use light to kind of, like, get through areas safely. And th I, those two games in particular, as a pair, I think make for an, a fantastic weekend, especially if you have a longer one. And so I can't recommend the first one enough, and I really like the second one so far. Sweet. All right, yeah. That's my geekery. So yeah, let's uh let's get into the main topic then, shall we? So we have come up with a couple different evergreen topics to bring on to the show to kind of like boost out the tail for some of these episodes, but Joe had the idea of specifically talking about games that we've started multiple times over, and this doesn't necessarily mean games we haven't finished. These are just things that we've got through the like we just for whatever reason, we restart it. 
Um, so Zach, why don't you go first on this? All right. So mine differ a little bit from yours because it's not like I'm playing through a whole nother game again. It's just games that I keep coming back to rather than <clears throat> games I'm totally restarting. Well, I guess one of them is. Uh, and the top of that list would be RimWorld. Um, I'm really into RimWorld. I like management sim games sort of things. And RimWorld gives you all of it, uh, except for you don't control the narrative. The narrative just happens. Hmm. Uh, so, like, you you start doing the design and, like, moving people around to defend things, but they have, like, sim-style, like, hunger and sleep and, like, mood and, like, all of that. So that affects how they do stuff if they don't. Uh, if they go into a mental break and just you can't control them until they're done. Um, but they just recently had the biotech update, which is huge. <laughs> so you get like, oh man, it's so you can have children. There's a lot of these you can have like system driven games that they just keep hammering <clears throat> in different things. And because the art style is so simple in RimWorld, there's a lot you can get away with the like macro level of stuff. Yeah, and the mod community for it's very good. So there's lots of really interesting mods, um, in particularly like more races. So it's like humans mm. is like all it is like at base level. Uh, Biotech adds like modified humans, so you get like fur-covered humans that are like were bioengineered living in like cold zones or like in the deserts you get like imp like humanoids that can breathe fire um but you can mod in so many more like uh i think there's, there's a bunch of like custom like spacey races like different kind of robotic like people cyborg races which might be kind of redundant with the new stuff uh but either way like they each of their big updates they kind of take some stuff that's really big in the modding community kind of like rolled it into the package of what the mod is so like cool the uh the bioengineering was a big mod that got rolled into a like a full-fledged mod with them like different than how that was but because you basically can uh after a while you can start manipulating like a gene pool of people to like start creating like better colonists but then they have two options now that you can either grow them in like a vat like so basically grow a child to an adult in a vat to just do stuff but they have less of a skill pool that they can get because they were a grown person versus somebody taking care of them in like a nursery and making them go to school so then every periodic bits of in-game year like you can start choosing better traits for them to have and better like passions for them to go after um so it's it's really in-depth lots of in-depth stuff but you, like every time you load up the game and play it it's different every time i come back to it constantly um but then like two other games that are like i keep setting down and picking back up like destiny's been one um me and toast love playing destiny it's just we we get busy and we set it down but then we can come back in and pick it up um <clears throat> as long as we haven't taken like years off uh because of the way they wrote have been rotating out some content to where you can't play it anymore, we can come back in and kind of experience whatever was going on with the story and catch back up and then kind of get back in the, the gameplay loops. Uh, Destiny 2 has <clears throat> had a surprising, like, redemption arc from what I've gathered. Like, I, the one time I sat down to play it, I think I played it for, like, eight or nine hours. Like, it's got a really addictive gameplay loop. I just wasn't crazy about the loot, and I wasn't crazy about the, the lore as it was presented at the time, which I hear has gotten way better. The lore has gotten significantly better. Uh, that being said, we are, like, at the end of the Dark versus Light saga. So, like, after this season, it goes into Lightfall, which is the last, like, major expansion for Light versus Dark. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm going to guess it's going to have three or four seasons in it, too, and then be done. Hmm. Um, but then I don't know what's after do that. Think, do you think Destiny 3 is, like, within the next year or so? No. Okay. I would say it'd be off by at least two. Because I know Bungie has been hiring pretty extensively for an unannounced project which many people have attributed to be a reboot of the Marathon series, which, you know, kind of got their their whole first-person chops underneath of them back in the Mac days. And so that's kind of the idea that people are thinking, but it's not been confirmed yet. And I think that any studio that's in, like, a big sci-fi section, right, has an opportunity to just swing the opposite way into fantasy. And then you can have two products kind of, like, happening simultaneously. And that's what Warframe is doing. Yeah. Soulframe, I think. Yeah, they got a lot going on. Which another game that's you know <laughs> sci-fi live service shooty bang bang has been going on for like fifteen years. Yeah, uh, and then I guess the last one would be Rust because you can kind of play it for a month and then stop. Uh, I got my mm, little. I've heard good things about Rust. It's been updating like crazy, and I didn't realize because I played it. I really only played it played it when I had COVID and was out for out of everything for like a month and some change. Um, but I got my little, me and my little brother have been talking more, and he plays on uh, PC now too. So we've tried to find some stuff that we play together. And he was like, "Well, he's like, I got, he's like, Tarkov or Rust is kind of where we were settling on." He was like, "You want to play safe from Tarkov?" I was like, "Yeah, I can download this and that and get started on it." And he was like, "Nope." He's like, "We're gonna play Rust." He's like, "Tarkov's gonna be an investment, and um, we're not gonna go down that route." <laughs> he was yeah, like, "That's well, like a really hardcore tactical kind of thing, right?" Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It is. Apparently, it's absolutely unforgiving too. Like you just lose your stuff. You die. You lose your stuff. But it looks really funny when I see lots of like other people play it. But apparently, it's not not fun in that sense very often. But we no. Apparently, I was just looking at the Steam page for us. There's Halloween content out. There's like pumpkin heads and oh yeah yeah spooky slashers and stuff. Yeah. Every Halloween they do a, a Halloween update where they'll have like a whole bunch of like in-game NPCs, no matter what you got going on, like, come in and do things um, <laughs> that'll run around and try to kill you, like, separate from, like, the normal stuff in the environment. Like, you get zombies out there that are just there. Uh, and then they do, like, Christmas. They have a Christmas update where when you're playing, like, every night or every other night in-game, Santa drops off packages, like, gifts near players somewhere. So, like, oh, even weird. in the dark, there'll just be, like, this one glowing box that people and like go over and like search and take presents out of and then you can either open them or combine them into bigger presents to make to get better loot out of over time so it's it's fun uh we haven't done pvp in a while <laughs> the last time i did pvp we were an uber driver service and it was really fun that was like the best pvp <laughs> experience i've had um dude server <laughs> culture is crazy like we could do an entire episode or like an entire website like dedicated to just how different games can feel and play in certain server environments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and I feel like Rust is a big one. Yeah, it's got lots of, uh, what was it, Streamland? Streamerland they were doing? They had a bunch of like bigger streamers do uh, roleplay Rust, which was really cool, and that brought a lot of it into the forefront of uh, people, so it got a lot of popularity for a bit. But we've been playing this zombie-based, like, pve server which is really fun uh and they do like two week wipes instead of monthly so we could play a cycle of three two week wipes and then they like forcefully wipe everything and everybody has to start over after the uh, six weeks roughly 
Uh, so we played played one of those and got to hang out together. So like you know, it's just something you can kind of pick up and do. And then you know, at the there's end like of that a time, weird it wipes, level, and you can come back and leave it. There's a weird level of live service titles that like are pop, like they have millions and thousands or however many players that are like still going strong. Like I think of this, I think of things like Subnautica, uh, The Forest, which is getting a sequel soon. Oh um, yeah, I forgot about that. It's surprising how popular some of these games can be. <laughs> and even things like Minecraft, that are ultra popular, still has, you know, active players that are excited and happy to be there. Yeah, they just did a I big think Valheim's guys. another one. Valheim as well, which we'll be playing at your charity event. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um so Zach, it sort of seems like a lot of a lot of your choices are like have like do these games have endings or do they just sort of like kind of designed around start starting over? Uh, most of them are designed around starting over Rimworld, Not necessarily has some endings. Like you could play it forever and just draw it out. It just gets harder. The longer you play because Rimworld's so you a story that it tells you the story, like you're doing stuff and you're like making choices, yeah. but ultimately like, the the way it's designed is like in-game wealth versus like danger. So wealth and danger, as your wealth goes up, the harder things become. So the better off you are, the more you're going to have difficulties with like events and like enemies raiding you and like all sorts of like crazy stuff happening. I wish that was a global system in real life. <laughs> just gets just gets harder in different ways. I mean, I guess in different times that was established. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's really cool because at the end, like you can build a ship and like reset off to the stars because typically like it's crash landings, like they're like default thing, like your ship that you're riding on broken, you like in your escape pods or whatever your cryopod was got ejected and you, you landed with a couple other random people on your like civilization ship. And there's like four of you and you're like just coming up from nothing for a couple of years and trying to rebuild a ship and take off again. Uh, but you have other way, way more things for it. But ultimately, like, it's hard and you're probably going to die. Like, your favorite people in the game will probably die from something. So you you really value that experience of, like, starting over and that replayability after learning something new about a mechanic and trying something new the next time. Yeah, I do. Uh, in RimWorld's case, I enjoy the story because it's fun to see, like, you know, these characters fall in love they fall out of love like we got somebody in the colony they turned into a traitor they killed somebody and escaped or they like robbed us blind and i couldn't get the pawns over there to catch them in time and they escaped or you know whatever whatever that story is i like i like being able to play something where i don't pick the story the story tells itself to me as much as i try to like can guide things like it's just it's fun in rim world story pick you yeah. There's a word for what you're talking about where it's like systems-based narratives or something. It's the, A lot of the games that you've mentioned, aside from arguably Destiny, which is probably the most straightforward of the three, um, the games Certainly that you kind of curated and jump back into multiple times would be things that you know have multiple tiers of systems working in tandem to create different and infinite results. Yeah, I like them all. Uh one that I've been interested in, just not on the list that I haven't played, would be something like Stellaris. But I don't want to get into the time investment of jumping into a really deep grand strategy game. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I see lots of funny content on Stellaris. <laughs> That's how I feel about Final Fantasy fourteen. So what about you? Joe? Uh, let's uh, let's go through some of your titles here because I know there's a franchise that ties us together. So we'll go from from where you end to where I start. Probably All makes right. the most so- sense. Sounds good. <laughs> Uh, for me, probably the biggest example of this is like as a game I've started multiple times with the intention of like playing it and finishing it is Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. The <laughs> sheer game. number of times I've started this <laughs> game. Um, I, I remember trying it on the original PlayStation 2. I started it up on the 3DS multiple times. I started it on the Vita uh and it this is over the course of like 10 years because mm-hmm. all these people i know were like this is a fan this is a phenomenal game it's so good it still is but i would just get <laughs> i would just get overwhelmed by all the systems and i would just be like i am not in the mood for this almost every time and it's funny because it's all those systems kind of work in like weird, cool, fiddly ways, but the space that you're exploring is like six blocks deep. It's really yes. weird. <laughs> so you you sort of like oh, you, the game sort of like oh, don't you know you got to make sure you eat to take to keep your energy up all the time. So you got to be catching food and finding eggs and shit. And like <laughs> like the the shooting is a little weird. It's not as straightforward as it is. And like you're in third person until you shoot, which felt weird. Um, I would say probably like I, I, I played through two and really enjoyed that on the Vita and I, w- I went into three and then shortly after that I sold the Vita. And so that's sort of like what happened that time. And then I, I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll borrow the three DS version from a friend. And I was just like, I'm not in the mood for this. Like I already don't hugely like stealth games, but last November I started the game and finished it in January a couple months later. So I ha- I I have finally knocked this game off my list. I have played it and I loved it. Hmm. I really really enjoyed it. But last winter it was like I think it was like late October early November, it was our first snow here in Minnesota. Yep. And I started a fire in the backyard and I'm sitting outside with my Vita, snow lightly coming around me with a fire bundled up in my coat playing my Vita and I'm like this feels weirdly appropriate for this game (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's how you should play the first game and I have a a similar experience with uh, Snake Eater as you but my problem is I kept falling asleep (laughs) so (laughs) that beginning is rough and it's really long winded and it's all like I'm Snake I'm a soldier man and I'm stuck in the wilderness (laughs) this is something I learned when I recently replayed the last of us getting hyped for two. Um, I just put it on easy. Yup. <laughs> I, as soon as I threw snake eater on easy and I was able to just sort of get into the vibes it was going without being too punished for not understanding everything. The game was trying to teach me and get me into. And I think it, like it almost feels like it's intended for you to take this game in its paces it's Mm -hmm. fairly short and so to get the most out of the game you really do start at easy and you sort of understand oh okay that's what all these areas are for and then you go on go to normal or hard where you're like okay i know what's here 
so I know what to expect and what to find. I'm ready for this to be a harder experience. And then, you know, then there's like no, no kill runs and like never get spotted runs and things like that, where it just gets bonkers difficult, but it's all like self-imposed difficulty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like story and like, you know, every time I got spotted, I would just jump up and just like karate chop people until they passed out. Like 15 guys running at me and I'm just like, like just punching people. And then they're just a pile of people knocked out in front of me. And then I run in and hide. And then the, like all the alerts go down and I'm like, <laughs> and then you try should to sneak absolutely again. play the Plague Tale games. Cause it has some very like, loose but the thing is, is I, connections. I, I don't, Tend, I don't generally enjoy stealth right. in games like at all. And so putting it on easy and allowing me to just karate chop my way through like some Soviet Union secret weapons base, <laughs> like I turned it into a stealth game into like some over the top 80s action movie. That, <laughs> that is where like, it draws so much influence from, too. So it, and, and then narratively, it does make sense. You get these cutscenes, and some of them do change based off of your actions. Mm. Uh, like I, you know, and there are certain moments set up that if you miss them, it, it comes back around later. You get an opportunity to like do something else, or like you know, spoiler alert. So I guess fast forward like a minute or whatever. But you get a sniper rifle, and not long after you get the sniper rifle you get a cutscene of you viewing someone from very far away, a bad guy. And my first initial thought was, well, I fucking have a sniper rifle now. Why don't I just shoot this guy now? And you can, you can shoot <laughs> one of the major bosses of the game intent before you're intended to fight them. Like, like within like the cutscene, not like, yeah. Like you, you can yeah. go into your scope with your gun, activate it, and interrupt the cutscene and and shoot this guy. That's and of awesome. course, it's Hideo Kojima. So you kill this guy, and his wheelchair flies up into the air, <laughs> and then crashes down on top of you. Oh, it's it's such a <laughs> like good it explodes. good sequence. But that, but that is a boss in the game that has a totally different fight later that I've never experienced because I was like, <laughs> I wonder if the game will let me just shoot this guy now, and it did. And this like it gave me a huge respect for this game because this happened on the PS2. Yeah, mm -hmm. there there were three or four outcomes for that boss fight. One of which is you just didn't play the game for a week. Oh yeah, because he like this is the old he just guy. dies of old age. Yeah. yeah, and then when you come back in, you hit it. You have a cutscene of finding him dead. That's 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 the fight. Like I couldn't I couldn't yeah, do it amazing. for a week, and I needed to take a week off. And you come back, and the game's like, I got you, bro. Yeah, boss the, I I wish Bloodborne was like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, you know, I I got a huge respect for the series. I liked two. I would say I liked three even more, just narratively. I also think it's just hilarious that Solid Snake is one of the dumbest characters in video game history because literally everything he says is phrased as a question mm. because he has to in order for other characters to give the player information. So they'll be yep. like, you're looking for UMDs. And he's like, UMDs? Yes. <laughs> Weapons of mass destruction. They're like, they're, they're going to cause any 
untold chaos or like this guy's got lightning powers lightning powers like <laughs> everything he says is a question but like all these cutscenes, all these characters are so melodramatic i love them yes um but it is a game i it took me six times of starting it to finally actually play it and beat it over think- the course of like 10 years I tried to start with Snake Eater years ago because, I mean, Zach being a Metal Gear guy is like, oh, you got to play Metal Gear. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll take your word for it. (laughs) And so I picked up all of them and started at three and didn't work out. But then we had the live stream where I played through all of the first one and thought it was awesome. And that article's on the website. So I think I'll do what you did is I'll go from one to two, then to three, rather than trying to go chronologically. Chronologically (laughs) I've never played one. I've only I've played two and three. I I like picked one. Up, one was cool. I have five on PlayStation Four, so, Ooh, so do I. I'll, I'll probably pick that up at some point. Um, but uh, next is Tales of Berseria. I'm a big fan of the Tales of RPG action series. Somebody has um, to be. They <laughs> tend to be like they they do a lot of things story wise that sort of subvert tropes so they introduce tropes and then by the end of the game twist them hmm. so you have these characters that are set up and you're like oh this is just the stereotypical that character and then they do something about 20 hours in and you're like oh this changes the game uh berseria is definitely their like dark fantasy entry um i originally started playing it uh with my spouse um, because the combat allows for co-op. They don't I have didn't to. Know that, actually. Yeah. I so in- anytime you go into combat, you can have a second player with a controller control one of the other characters. Huh. I feel like Final and Fantasy th- does that too. I think mm. you can technically do it in Final Fantasy Nine. Yeah. I was gonna say I'm pretty sure that you can have somebody co-op fight what? with you in Nine. Yeah. It's not in the manual. No. <laughs> it's not in the manual. You ha- like someone discovered it. And you have to like look up like on forums how to do multiplayer co-op in Final Fantasy IX, and it's only in the original. They took it out in the like PS4 like classics remake. Yes. You have to do it in the original. It's wild. Uh, and I think you can do it in some of the, one of the older Final Fantasies too. But just certain characters get controlled by player two. No, you're right. I'm, I'm, I mean, if we're if forums are accurate here in Final Fantasy IX, the original with two controllers plugged in, your friend could control a character while in battle, but only yep. in battle. Yep. But <clears throat> huh. the Tales of game is an action series, so the combat is both players can play at the sa- exact same time uh, and do combos, and they can even combine attacks for like team up attacks and things like that. So there's like some engagement there when you introduce more like a second player. Um, We sort of fell off of it, but I was enjoying it. So then I started it again because it had been like a year and I forgot how to play the game. And I got about 15, 20 hours in and I think COVID happened. Life got busy. Then we bought a house then I built an office. Then, Alex you know, moved in, and you know. so it's just like <laughs> lots of things happened, and I just haven't returned to it. And so, like that's a game I've started twice, and I really want to. And when I play it again, I will start over because I've forgotten everything. I am um, actually kind of sold on this game because the Steam trailer starts off with a fight between 
a werewolf and an anime girl with like a werewolf hand. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. Berseria. All about that. uh, <laughs> Tales of Berseria is really cool. I've never played them, but I've watched the anime, which was very cool, and I want to play them. Is there from a Berseria that. anime? There's a Tales of Zestria. Because they're oh, all they're okay. all tied in the same universe. I think Zestiria is yeah, widely yeah, yeah. considered one of the worst games in the series. It's kind of like Final Fantasy, how it's like the same structure, so to yeah. Speak. And so what ties it together is like it's in like the studio and its gameplay, but they're not like connected in any way unless it's a direct sequel. Because I think there's like a Zestiria two or something. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but then final my my last game is Final Fantasy ten, which I've started like two or three times the first time i played it was on the ps2 but the copy i borrowed wouldn't load like you halfway through the first boss fight would freeze oh. every time oh at least it was early i guess it could have been like yeah it like the way through no it was literally like 20 minutes in like one of the first fights of the game i just couldn't but because you haven't saved yet I spent three hours starting trying to get past that one bit. Like I would clean the disc, do something like oh, different no. and you'd have to watch every cutscene. Yeah. You can't <laughs> skip it. I think in the first, um, but I, I did pick up the HD version on PS4 a while back and started it on there. And I don't know why I stopped playing it. I just, did, just stopped. It's bad. Uh, but then you That's sold why. me, but then, but then you sold me the Vita version and I was able to just continue my playthrough on the Vita Oh yeah, on, there's like a cross save thing. You, there's there, like right? a cross save feature. Yeah, that's cool. I don't think it's gonna come even close to my favorite Final Fantasy, but I think I still enjoy it more than like eight or even seven. I think seven is way overhyped. But that's there's just a lot me of personally. people that are really close to ten. I mean, probably the big reason for that is because Final Fantasy ten had a very big romance plot. And yeah. it was one that like it was very tragic. The music was really good. It was cute, and you know it's a whole. Well, thing. I also think it was like one of the first games of that generation to really like pump out the graphics. Yeah, it was. It like, was, it was an early. It was an thing. early PS2 title, and when you look at Final Fantasy IX's graphics and style, while very good on the PS1, like the the game still looks good. Mm -hmm. But then you go to like. This is a next gen experience. It felt on, like it at the time. Because that was Final 10. Fantasy's first three D game. Like that that, that no, graphically but it nice was, game. It was the first one that had voice acting. Oh, it was so and it was it like, was the first like it was the first three D in regards to the environments, if I'm not mistaken. That, that's what I mean, and not like Yeah, it's not like, like it's it not wasn't like pre rendered. It's not polygons on pre rendered backgrounds. It's right, right, right. fully three D environments. But it's But either like, way. That Big deal. <laughs> jump at the time, people were like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, yeah, like other games looked good, but this game, like the pre-rendered cutscenes, were on another level. They still look the, okay. <laughs> the, 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 the environment design, the character design, everything just felt so much more detailed from anything before it. And even anything out at the time, mm -hmm. it really showed off the PlayStation 2 is here. It's also you know, a bit so. of a risk, too, because it wasn't, you know, castles and sword and sorcery that had, like, established Final Fantasy. And it course. wasn't industrial fantasy like mm -hmm. Final Fantasy VII, either. It wasn't cyberpunk. It wasn't it was, um, it was anime school drama, which is what eight was. It was unique right. in, like, a beach setting and cool. 
Hey, Square Enix boss, I've got a pitch for you. You know the movie Waterworld? What do, if it was Final Fantasy? Do it again. <laughs> what? <laughs> Speaking uh, of Final Fantasy, man. Sold. What, I love this series, first of all. Anybody who knows me knows how much I freaking adore Final Fantasy in general. It's always been a part of my life since I was like a teenager seeing summons back on the PS1 and being like, that is the coolest shit I've ever seen. And to this day, summons is some of my favorite things in video games. But uh, I, like, around that same time as I started playing 7, 9, Tactics, whatever, on the PlayStation, I started to think about, like, well, if this is 9, <laughs> where's 1 and the rest? And so, like, even as a, I don't know, probably 15-year-old kid, I was, like, studying the histories of franchises. And so Final Fantasy VI is one that always kind of got away from me. Because there wasn't a great way to play it, arguably, until the GBA, which even then a lot of people discredit because the sound is bad. And so I have started Final Fantasy VI, like, probably upwards of, like, 30 times. And I always get to the point where you're, like, you get Sabin and you're on the, the train and he, like the character <laughs> asks you to train. do, yeah. Well, that's the thing that you could do, but it it asks you to put in like an input, like a fighting game input, and then you hit a button, and then it goes. But every single version of Final Fantasy VI is a slightly different take on that mechanic, and so I could never get it. <laughs> so it's like the game would say you need to do this input, and I would fail it, and I just couldn't. I couldn't get past that one fight that forces me into doing that one particular input. But thankfully, the, like, Pixel Remaster, which is where I've gotten the most traction, uh, I've, like, actually got through where the world resets and the boss wins, and so I'm in the world of Ruin on my current playthrough. But thankfully, that game is a very, like, straightforward, here's how you do said input, and then you hit a button, and then it just works. Um, so, so shout-outs like, to Square Enix for just re-bringing stuff forward. I struggled with that, too, when I first got into, like, Final Fantasy VI, because... I, you know, I liked Final Fantasy. I played one and two, mm -hmm. loved them on the PSP, actually. Those those versions on PSP are really fun. Those are really good um, versions. I liked, I liked four on the PSP as well. Um, and then, of course, you know, I had played through seven. And then, like, I had some friends in college that were like, you got to play nine and you got to play six. They're mm -hmm. super good. Um, and so I think I got a hold of nine first really really enjoyed it but six sort of eluded me for the similar reason it wasn't widely available um i mean we emulated so i it think several i times. i think i got it on i think i ended up picking it up there's like the playstation classics version yep yep but it's super weird because it's literally a drag and drop of the snes file onto a cd so it's not optimized <laughs> for cd so the load times are so bad even digital copies of mm -hmm. that version are bad and so I burnt out on it super early. And then... Um, That's how I played Chrono Trigger for the first time, was with those the, horrendous load times. Yeah, it's so bad. Uh, same for Chrono Trigger. Mm -hmm. uh, I beat Chrono Trigger the first and Final Fantasy VI, the virtual console on the Wii. Mm -hmm. That's how I experienced these games for the first time. And the problem with Final Fantasy VI is every character plays a little different. Every character has a slightly different... like strategy and way right. that you execute their attacks and there's like four and <laughs> and you don't have in, that information readily available what's cool now is when i play the game is i picked up a copy for super nintendo 
it's right behind it's like it's in the system behind me actually mm-hmm. and the next time i went to the store they remembered that i bought the copy and they had set aside the ma- they came across the manual and set it aside and and sold me the manual at it like a huge discount too so now i actually have the original manual with the original like map too uh-huh. and so anytime i'm playing the game i have that manual there and i'm like oh how do i play this character again or what how, why does this character work that information is in the manual if you don't have that manual you you just have to hope you remember how the game works every time you play it or download a game facts that may or may not right. be accurate <laughs> right and so like I understand what you're saying, and then Even also the strategy back strategy guides were like iffy back in the day. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. There's there's things in final the Final Fantasy IX strategy guide is arguably considered the worst strategy guide ever of all time because so they funny. wanted you to go to the internet for everything. And then there's quests that just aren't in the guide at all. Yep, bad guide. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. I have a copy here because historically just, it's hilarious. I think yeah. it's fascinating. Um. But yeah, Final Fantasy VI is also in a weird spot because, you know, my copy on the Super Nintendo says Final Fantasy III. Yeah, that was the other issue, right? Like, back in the day. You're, like, looking at, you're, like, at a video game store. Well, I really like 7 and 8. And you're, like, what what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) I see 1, 2, and 3. But 2 is 4. And 3 is 6. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a wild time. So it always got away from me, but I'm bound and determined before 2023 to finish this game because the Pixel Remasters came out. Thank goodness that we do games media because Square Enix sent me like all of them, which was fantastic. And so eventually we'll have some sort of content regarding these Pixel Remasters. And I tell you, it's a shame that that's not on Switch because they're actually pretty solid. But yeah, I I love that series, and it just it always got away from me and. It's similar situation is for Horizon Zero Dawn, a game that I've like played the first few hours of multiple times. I couldn't tell you what happens after that one thing comes into the village and breaks down a bunch of stuff. I don't know. I, I hear it's good. <laughs> but it was it was fascinating because a lot of people are like, oh, Horizon Zero Dawn's got this really cool story stuff. And I'm like, oh, I, I assume I know where that goes. And I didn't really know where it went until people started talking about the second one when it came out. And I don't know if I'll ever go back and finish the first Horizon Zero Dawn, except for maybe sheer curiosity, because the beginning is so slow. It's like playing an Assassin's Creed game. You start as like like a a little baby, and then you go through the wilderness, and your daddy shows you how to throw a rock. (laughs) There's a reason a mod exists for Skyrim that allows you to just skip the beginning of the game Mm -hmm. like or give you an alternate beginning like i love those mods it's so cool if the if the starting of the game is rough and you fall off of it and need to start over that getting the motivation to want to do that again is a pain yeah (laughs) that said horizon zero dawn's really cool world and the sequels got really pretty graphics and joe gave me a copy which i am appreciative of so eventually i'll get a nice 4k screen and play it in all its glory (laughs) well that's a game i got the collector's edition of so i yeah (laughs) had the game already so when my ps5 came with a copy i was like (laughs) we like (laughs) traded for a chair that i didn't want yeah (laughs) but the the last game that i'm gonna throw up because i know we're kind of like hitting our, our time we allotted for tonight is uh there's a ps1 gem that i absolutely recommend if you're really into like top down zelda 
It's uh, it's called Alundra or Alondra is what I always pronounced it as, which I'm sure could be wrong. It's a spiritual from successor. West Virginia. What do you know? <laughs> yeah, I know letters. But uh, it's it's a spiritual successor to Landstalker on the Sega Genesis. There's a really bad sequel on PS1 called Alundra 2 that is completely different and just horrendous. But that I feel Alundra, like I've only played the sequel. Like I rented it from like a store, yeah. and it was like this sucks. No man, like the first Alundra has got such a unique, like weirdly off-putting vibe because it's all about dreams, and you're doing the Zelda thing, right? Like you're running around gathering items, doing this and that. And the reason I never finished it is because it's hard. It's a hard-ass video game, but not for, like, a way that is, like, intriguing or, like, interesting. It's just, it's kind of hard just to be a pain in the ass. Like, there are puzzles where there'll be, like, four pillars in a square, right? And you have to hit the, you have to jump up and slash these with your sword to make the, like, a pattern, right? But there's no way to discern the pattern, so you just have to, like, brute force guess it nine times out of ten. So you're just, like in a little box jumping around trying to hit these in the right order so that they work with no indication on if you're right with the first slash or whatever <laughs> i don't think the second one's like that at all no no like, the second one is completely i think different. the second one is literally like oh we kind of had a cool like world idea it's kind of like Mega Man and then Legends, the gameplay but worse. okay <laughs> yeah. i've also played alundra too on sheer curiosity but i find alundra to be like fascinating and I think the music is exceptional. It has this really cool, like, 80s anime intro. I think this game deserves a remake wholeheartedly. And I would love for somebody to do that. And I would love to know more about the development of it. But it is, that's why I never finished it. It's challenging. It's in, like, the worst ways imaginable. And if you're really into those, like, top-down Zeldas and you're like, man, these games are too easy for me, I implore you, check out Alundra on, like, a PS1 emulator or something. That's pretty cool. Well, I feel like we kind of touched on this like with, as each of us were talking about what makes it difficult what like what makes a game difficult to sort mm-hmm. of stick with or why these titles we've started over like for zach it was because you like starting over on these games there's a re- like you approach this topic as a replay value discussion and i hadn't even really considered like that i think like i thought like oh I could put Civilization Six down, but the whole point of that game is to start over and like play through a game, like a board game. Um, and like my intention going into this was, what's a game that you know I've started over? It took me many times to start it, to finish it, or I still need to finish it. Um, and so I'm glad that you brought that replay value to the 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 table because that's an important part of starting over. Sometimes that's an intended part of the game mechanic. Mm-hmm. And Whether so I if thought you come that was back with new knowledge or you're trying a different way to play or, you know, what have you, like sometimes that, you know, new run, that's why like roguelikes are so popular. Right. Right. I was just about to say, like you look at Hades, it's literally the whole point is starting over with mm-hmm. what you've learned from previous attempts. I really like it. I need to finish some of the other weapon runs in Hades. I should at least play. Oh, so you're games. saying you should maybe start again? Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> I bought that game when it was on sale on PC and thought to myself, man, that's not how I prefer to play a game like that. I'd rather have it on the Switch or something. But then I thought, I'm... but what if I love it? Then I'm just in Hades for 50 hours, and I don't know if I can, I can do that. But right it now. also has cross-save. So if you were playing on PC... 
and oh. to pick it up on Switch. Oh. You can continue your playthrough on Switch later. <laughs> that, that. Oh, no. Nah. I just got an OLED, too, so it would look it's real so good. Would look that real game nice. looks amazing on OLED. Oh, I know. And it would play so smooth. <laughs> The yeah, first maybe we time need to I, have a Hades episode. Maybe that's the, the first excuse. time I beat Hades. The first time I beat Hades, it was uh, at the cabin. I was there, <laughs> and everyone around me. I'm like sitting there play, and I beat it, and everyone around me like <laughs> asleep, like passed out, and I was like, <laughs> I can't celebrate in the way that I want to because <laughs> everyone's asleep. That was a great day for gaming. Like me, you, and Dave. I think also all of us had some really good gaming memories because me and Dave played a bunch of Mario Golf and it was just fun to pass back and forth. And then I finished yeah. uh, that one story-driven game that's on the PlayStation. Oh yeah, where everyone's like frozen and and the like, Roman your way through oh, the like. God, what is the name of that game? Yeah, you re you really enjoyed it. Was it originally like a Skyrim mod, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm gonna have to look it up. It's bugging the shit out of me. <laughs> the uh, game didn't interest me specifically. But watching you play it and talk about it was interesting. It does one of my favorite things in games, which is the idea of puzzle boxes, where you have like one environment and you're slowly weaving away into these different solutions. Uh, it's the Forgotten yeah. City on PS5, yeah. mm. which I cannot recommend enough. That game is super, super cool. But uh, yeah, and the developers gave us a bunch of really good interviews over the years, and they've always been like super nice to me whenever we're at conventions and stuff. So shout outs to the Forgotten City folks yeah, for that, just being nice. It was a really cool idea that they they executed pretty well for what like that they Skyrim did what they intended to. Good stuff. Um, but with all of that, um, if you're listening, thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm. Uh, we really really appreciate it here, all three of us. Um, and uh. If you have a game or games that you've started multiple times, let us know on social or in the Discord. Like, we want to engage in these conversations with you as well. So if, if us talking about these games or if you had a similar experience with one of these games or your own game, hit us up. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. Um, and uh, thank you for listening. Stay cool. Play some games. Have a good one, everyone. Right on. We'll put all the emails and stuff. Sounds good. <laughs>